Welcome back to another episode of Everything Aviation Podcast. Uh, fantastic guest for you today. Um, this guest uh, does everything nearly in aviation, flies airplanes and flies wingsuits and jumps out of airplanes. Um, does a lot of stuff with the uh, Red Bull Air Force, um, has jumped without a parachute uh, and also flies one of the coolest airplanes ever, which is a, a crop duster. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Scott Farmer. Scott, how are we? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. Thank you for coming on. Scott, where has your... You, you do so much in aviation. Like, At what point did you start to get an interest in aviation and where did it come from? Well, I come from an aviation family. Uh, both of my grandfathers were pilots. My father is a pilot. Um, so it just kind of is in my blood, I guess. Um, I started skydiving when I was uh, 17, almost 18 years old. I joined the military and so I kind of could sign my own life away. And so I started skydiving and I've been flying in airplanes my whole life. I grew up in the Idaho in the United States, which is great for backcountry flying. And I've uh, been flying in the backcountry since I was a young boy. And then about the age of 30, I decided to start uh, actually being a pilot, flying airplanes, not just jumping out of them. So I've been flying for about eight years now. And uh, yeah, commercial pilot. I fly crop dusters and skydivers and ferry airplanes. I kind of do a little bit of everything in aviation. That's so cool. And We'll, we'll, we'll do it in, in sections, but we'll come on to the skydiving part first. And at what point did, did you start looking, say, like at wingsuiting and everything like that? Or, or where did the interest in the actual skydiving come from? Yeah, well, since the interest in skydiving for me came from a movie called Point Break. I watched it as a kid oh, yeah. and I was just like, I have to do that. And my mom was like, yeah, you can't do that. You do that when you're an adult. And so I did. As soon as I could be an adult, I was like, I'm going to jump out of an airplane. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so... In skydiving, there's many different disciplines of, of how you jump out of an airplane. And wingsuiting kind of came around the scene in around 2002, 2003 timeframe. Um, but wingsuit technology wasn't very advanced at that point. It was just kind of fabric strung between our arms and our legs. Uh, and I did it a little bit then, but wasn't overly captivated by it yet because we just couldn't glide very far it was we were basically we we're still falling straight down maybe a little bit of forward movement but then um in about 2010 wingsuit technology started becoming a lot more like shaped like an airfoil like an airplane airfoil and we started getting real performance out of the wingsuits so when that started happening they they're actually a ram air inflated wing uh, so around 2010, I started getting into wingsuiting more and more and have been completely captivated by it ever since, mostly for the ability to jump off cliffs with them. Like I, I do wingsuit skydive because that's how we train wingsuit base jumping, but I live in Moab, Utah. I like to travel to uh, places in Europe with big, tall cliffs where we can fly down mountains. That's uh, really where my passion lies is being like wow. Superman. <laughs> well, it's definitely it's a definition of, of human flight, basically, because you are flying your body. You're, you're out there. But what what made you get into base then as well on, on top of the skydiving? For anyone who, who doesn't know base is where what Scott's just explained about jumping off cliffs and buildings. Um, but yeah, how, how did you start looking at that and get into that? Yeah, so the base is an acronym. It stands for building, antenna, span, or earth. And we have, I primarily do the earth jumping, jumping off cliffs, because I like to be outdoors and go hiking and uh, fly down like an eagle. Um, I don't really know what exactly drew me into base jumping, other than it was kind of a fringe activity back. I got into base jumping in 2003. I was at a skydiving event called a boogie, and I met some base jumpers for the first time. This was when base jumping was a much smaller sport it's already very very small there's probably only a couple thousand people in the world who do this 
But back then there was maybe a few hundred people who were doing it. And so when I finally met somebody who was doing it, that I was like, hey, can I come hang out with you? And they're like, yeah, come to Utah. We'll show you how to do it. And uh, in Idaho, there's a bridge that you can jump off of legally uh, in Twin Falls, Idaho. It's 486 feet tall. So that's where I went and learned how to base jump. Um, so I did a few jumps there and then went to Utah, basically moved to Utah so I could come jump off the, the mountains here. And specifically down in, in Moab, Utah, southeastern Utah, is uh, it's beautiful red cliffs, like a classic John Wayne Western movie or uh, Westworld scenes, like Westworld was filmed here. We have these big towering rock, uh, sandstone rock walls that we can jump off of. Wow, that's quite a commitment, moving just, just to, to do base jumping. Yeah, I, I think when you're passionate about something, if you want to be really good at it, and which me, my for some reason, every time I find something that I'm passionate about, I just dive in 100% and can't think of anything else but that at that moment. You must be pretty good because you've attracted the attention of, of Red Bull and Red Bull Air Force. And those guys are, the, I would nearly go as far as saying best of the best. Uh, and you get to do quite a lot of work with them. How, how did you manage to get in with them? Yeah, I just have been very fortunate. Like I said, I just go full head down into the sport whenever I do it. And I've been doing it long enough now that I myself have gotten to a, a skill level that's quite high. And it's been recognized by the, the Red Bull Air Force. And so I get to go on various Red Bull projects, both, both as a performer or, and as a camera guy. So I also am very passionate about capturing all of this stuff on video or on pictures. So a lot of times the Red Bull guys will say, hey, we're doing this project. Can you come capture it for us? So I get to uh, go, for example, we just did a project where we were flying our wingsuits in formation with a Pilatus Porter in a dive, in a 3,500 foot per minute dive. And then at the same time, Kirby Chambliss in his Edge 540 was then barrel rolling around us while we were flying in formation with this uh, Pilatus Porter. So it was, it was very, very cool stunt that we got to do. I saw the video for that and that thing just blew my mind. because we, we used to have a Pilatus Porter in the Irish Parachute Club and it would, it would do flybys and stuff like that past wingsuiters, but we'd never actually flew it with wingsuiters like, like what you were describing. And then to have that added bit of, of Kirby, who's, who's a Red Bull Air, Air Race pilot as well, coming in and just doing rolls around you, it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Yeah, it was very, very cool visuals. Like a lot of times when you're in the stunt, you don't get a chance to look at the visuals. But as the camera flyer, I just kind of like sit on the outside and just got to take it all in. I was just like, what? This is mind blowing. It's so cool. And the, one of the other things, talking about flying formation with, with aircraft and stuff, one of the other things I found really cool was uh, was you you flew on Draco's wingtip as well. Um, now, for those yeah. who not li or listening don't know what Draco is, um, Mike Patey built a turbine Wilga and called it Draco. Uh, this thing was an absolute animal of an airplane. Um, and yeah, you, how, how did that even come about? Well, like right place at the right time, I guess. So when I got into flying airplanes, I immediately was drawn to the backcountry aviation side of things. And it kind of merged up with my wingsuiting and skydiving is kind of the fringe of aviation and somehow I got involved with the flying cowboys early on I just met these guys while we were flying and we just hit it off and then when Mike built Draco and I started flying crop dusters at that point so I kind of knew about turbine aircraft and I'd flown with a Pilatus Porter um, I knew that, uh, that we could go into reverse thrust and I thought Draco would be draggy enough similar to the Porter it's a very it's a big drag bucket of an airplane and then combine that with a, a turbine 
engine that can go in reverse thrust and flight. And I was like, Mike, let's do this. And he's like, he was all on board. So from the time of cons, like me telling him this, it was like about a week and a half period. Oh, wow. So we were actually doing the stunt in Utah. We were in Oshkosh talking about it, like around some, the bar one night. And then we started doing it in Utah and it, it worked out really well. It took a little bit of calibration. At first I was jumping out of a King Air and trying to combine the King Air speeds on jump run with Draco in the descent, the configuration, it didn't work very well. So luckily we were able to get uh, York Galland on board who is iFlyHeli on Instagram. And he had a Bell 504, no, he had his R66 at the time. So we were jumping his R66 and that, that was able to make it work a lot better. And we'd planned to do a lot of cool things with Draco and unfortunately uh, Draco met its early end, but mm. it, it will come back in a bigger and better way. Oh, that's it. It keeps teasing us with Instagram posts putting out a Draco 2.0 and I'm dying to see this thing now. But they're saying that scrappy as well that he's building is quite cool. Um, but yeah, Draco 2.0 would be really, really cool to see. Um, yeah. But yeah, that must have been... Is, is it strange flying beside and looking to your left or right and just seeing this aircraft sat beside you? You know, I think it might be more strange for a regular wing suitor, but as a, a pilot now, like seeing another airplane so close is kind of getting to be normal and I'd already flown I don't know 50 hours or something off of Draco's wingtip in my airplane because we flew all the way to Oshkosh and back together and had flown around quite a bit early on I'd already flown in Draco so it wasn't something new visually but it is kind of new visually because they're in free fall um, there's a whole lot more added complexities with it like when we fly formation airplanes we kind of have to worry about a little bit of wing turbulence or wake turbulence it can kind of suck you in a little bit but when you're in a wingsuit, it really sucks you in quite a lot. And then also because he's in reverse thrust, so he's pushing a lot of air backwards, which is blanking his tail, so it's making it hard for him to fly, but it's also creating a huge envelope behind him. So there's certain zones that we couldn't get in. We kind of had to come from above and then work our way in slowly in there. And then like at one point, I was almost touching his door handle. And but so when you're touching a door handle, that means the spinny thing in the front's only about eight feet away from your head. But wow, it was okay. <laughs> that's brilliant! So so cool. And uh, just yes, yeah, st sticking with skydiving, I, I believe you did quite a, a mad stunt a few years ago, which was you jumped without a parachute. How what what was going through your head there? <laughs> well, um. Yeah, I, to tell that story, I have to go to an earlier story. Um, when I was uh, a young, not a younger skydiver, I guess, I was, I don't know, I had about a thousand skydives at the time or something, but I was very accomplished in the, the wind tunnel or the indoor skydiving centers. I had a, a stuntman or motorcycle rider named Travis Pastrana call me up. He'd gotten my name through various resources because Travis actually wanted to jump without a parachute, but he knew he didn't really have the skill and he needed somebody to catch him. And so he called me up and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm into that. I can train you for that. So I trained him and got him jumping without a parachute. And then I was the one who swooped down and hooked up to him and captured him. And then we descended under one parachute. Um, and then from that, Travis and I just became really good friends. We're the same age and kind of have the similar mindset of stunt brains, I guess, not cracking under pressure. Uh, and he said, Hey, will you, do you want to redo a stunt like that for this Jackass, uh, production? Jackass was doing a tribute to Evil Knievel. 
And uh, yeah, Evil Knievel said in some interview many years ago that his stunts were all paled in comparison to jumping out of a plane without a parachute. So that's kind of what inspired Travis to do it. And that's what inspired us to do it for this tribute to Evil Knievel. Um, so that's when I, I did that stunt for a jackass 24-hour takeover of MTV, which then turned into a tribute to Evil Knievel and made it into Jackass 2.5 and stuff like that. And that was actually a very not originally the stunt I wanted to do. I wanted to do something else that involved no parachute and airplane, but I'm keeping that under my cap for now, just in case that does come back to me at some point in the future. I have bigger stunt plans, but as far as skydiving goes, jumping and meeting up with somebody else in free fall, that's a fairly basic thing for us to do. What makes it a stunt is that I don't have a parachute on. So I did take the ultimate risk of jumping out of an airplane with no parachute on and relying on my skill and my buddy's skills to make sure that I don't die. So it took a little bit of uh, controlling the mind and making it happen or what some people would call craziness, but <laughs> it, it felt really nice to jump out of a plane without a parachute because I've spent so many hours indoor skydiving, which we don't have a, a parachute or what we call a rig on. And it's a big backpack we wear and it goes over your shoulders and you tighten everything down. So you're feeling a little bit restricted in a harness, but when we're in the indoor skydiving, we don't have to wear this harness. And it truly is what I call the purest form of body flight because I can use my back and my chest as flight surfaces by either opening my chest and making the surface area my front half of my body longer than my back half. So creating lift or, or the other way, you know, but with skydiving, you can't do this as much because you're wearing a harness. So to jump out of a plane and just actually truly body fly was something uh, pretty special to me. Wow. And you're saying that it's, it's the ultimate risk. And um, is, is that going through your mind at any of this stage? Or is that something you just got to kind of battle and push away? I, you definitely think about it pre-stunt. I've done quite a few stunts where, and with base jumping, I mean, all of these things are, are life risking stunts, the, the, the ultimate risk, right? We're putting our life on the line. It's not something you think about while you're performing. It's something you think about leading up to it, making the proper decision, the go, no, to go decision for that day, planning for all the contingencies, planning on weather and things like that. This is something that happens pre-jump or pre-stunt. When you're actually in the, 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 the stunt or in action, you don't think about it. It's pretty much, uh, you're thinking about exactly what's going on in that moment or nothing at all. It's, it becomes quiet. And I think that's what drives me to keep kind of doing it all the time, because that's when everything is silent to me and it's just pure flow state, which is uh, something I wanna get every single day is this perfect quiet flow with complete union of the body and the mind. That's amazing. And they always say as well that you should do some, do at least one thing a day that scares you and keeps you fit and healthy. And so, wow, that, that really is amazing, especially to hear a mindset of it. Um, and then I take it because of all this that's going on when you got into flying aircraft, normal aircraft, um, that kind of came across as well because you could handle any kind of situation and, and, and be fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So my already mental training from skydiving and base jumping really helped with flying airplanes. I was not ever afraid of the airplane or afraid of what could go wrong. Uh, aware of things, obviously, like flying a little single engine airplane over mountainous terrain is can be a little bit taxing on the brain, but you also have to learn to shut that off and, and perform. And then with that, I, that's what got me into the backcountry flying really good and flying into one way strips or no strips at all. And the stole drags and crop dusting too. So 
I've been flying around with a guy in the back country who's a crop duster. And he was like, you know what, you have probably the, the proper mindset to get into ag aviation. And I, I think you're going to be really good at it. And I took to it right away. It's just so much fun to me. I love doing that. I've seen your videos on YouTube that you do and you take us like on a day of, of what a crop duster pilot is like. And it's one of them jobs that I find really fascinating because when you hear about people being commercial pilots and everything, it, it's always about flying jets. It's never about dropping skydivers or, or going out and doing crop dusting because I, I, mostly over here anyway in the UK, I don't think it's quite a big thing. But uh, in, in the States, I would it, it must be huge because you hear about it all the time. And Disney planes even did a thing on based on a, a crop duster. Um, but so is there a special route that you do to get into that kind of type of flying? Um, I think there's no, yeah, there's no real path to becoming an ag pilot. It's, it's actually a fairly hard field to get into. While we do need ag pilots, a lot of times nowadays, pilot up and coming pilots are just on this career airline pilot path and they're not stick and rudder pilots you know to be a ag pilot in the u.s we don't have nose wheel airplanes as ag planes they do a little bit in new zealand but it's something we just don't do in the u.s um so we're flying big turbine tailwheel airplanes and a lot of times people don't have any tailwheel time and then also enough time to get insured in a turbine aircraft um so a company has to take a risk on you either they you fly uninsured for a certain amount of hours and the the company just trusts that you're not going to crash their million dollar airplane or you can go to some schools, but there's no, there's these ag schools, but I don't really think they give you anything in the U S um, cause you're flying an old Cessna 188 ag truck, which is a piston pounder, which is not going to give you any turbine time. So I think, yeah, you can go to one of those schools or you can go and find an ag operation in your, near your home and you be a loader. You sit on the ground and you build a relationship with the company and you load the airplane and you learn about the operation that way. And then eventually they might buy you an ag truck or have some tailwheel airplane that you can fly and build hours in. And eventually they'll take the risk and let you fly their airplane. Or another way is in is through flying jumpers. So you fly a Cessna 182 or something as a jump plane, build up enough hours to get insurable in a turbine aircraft, like a caravan or something and you fly turbine time, and then you can have over a thousand hours or something, 500 hours turbine, and then it's pretty easy to get insured once you have 500 hours turbine time. Wow, For so me, I was lucky. My company took a risk with me. I had a little over 500 hours in tailwheel and was very proficient at tailwheel flying, and they took a risk on me. I flew uninsured for 10 hours and then was good to go. But even judging by everything that, you, that you've done so far and everything that we've seen, there, there was really kind of no risk at all because they knew you could handle anything that was getting chucked in your, your direction. Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, there's a bit of risk and there's no two-seat. Well, there are some two-seat ag planes, but we didn't have any. So it's you're soloing on your first flight. You taxied <laughs> around the airport a few times and then take off and you're like, well, I'm responsible to bring it back down safe now. <laughs> and did you start ag flying before you started flying jumpers? Uh, I, I'd flown some jumper loads, but no, I, I didn't fly like a, for a, a skydiving operation until after I was an ag pilot. And what would I you got, prefer? I got my job as an ag pilot, like the freshly minted commercial ticket. Oh, wow. Okay. So you were straight, straight out of kind of commercial school. Yeah. Yeah. I had 500 hours at time, or just over 500 hours and primarily all tailwheel time. Wow, that's cool. Because uh, tailwheel is something kind of like, like you said, it's hard to come by. Even over now, I'm looking at kind of doing my tailwheel endorsement at the moment and trying to find somewhere that does it is 
proven quite challenging. Um, yeah. But what what type of flying do you prefer? Do you prefer flying jumpers or would you prefer doing ag stuff? Because I know they can be completely different uh, kind of types of flying. Yeah, they're totally different flying. Like that, that jump flying jumpers can be a bit monotonous. It gets uh, the same repetitive thing all day long, up, down, up, down. I like it as a skydiver. It's fun to hang out with my friends. It's fun to hang out on a skydiving place. We call them drop zones. Um, but as far as the flying goes, it's not the most fun kind of flying at all. Mm. Um, but we do get to fly cool airplanes. We fly a caravan with a big Black Hawk engine on it. I fly a porter that's uh, done up with a Dash 34. Very, very nice porter. Fly a Twin Otter. It's just like really nice airplanes that we get to play around in. And we just climb up to 13,000, 14,000 feet and then dive as hard as you can down to the ground. <laughs> get them down as quick as you can. And like with a caravan, I mean, I'm going down in three minutes. From Whoa. <laughs> feet or something. It's pretty quick. But ag flying has got to be the funnest type of flying you can do. And especially where I work primarily in Eastern Washington, it's all hills. So I'm not only flying within three feet, between three and 10 feet of the ground, I'm flying within three and 10 feet of the ground while undulating with the, the terrain. And then at the end of the field, you get to pull up and do... Uh, an ag turn which is similar to like what an aerobatic hammerhead would be but slightly modified for ag flying and we don't quite go right to the edge of the envelope of the, the flight envelope of the airplane we kind of flirt on the more safe side of the flight envelope that's, that's mad you must be shattered when you get home from all the concentration because it doesn't sound like you can switch off at all during any of that yeah i you don't sometimes with ag flying you get like uh eight or nine minutes ferries so after you pull out of the field between getting back to the airport to refill, you can kind of reset. But sometimes in the middle of the day, we just have to take a little break to let them, the mental capacity uh, rebuild a little bit. Is what I noticed just the flying gets a little more sloppy, not so much in a dangerous way, but it, with ag flying, it's basically flying a precision approach over and over and over all day long, except not coming in on a five mile final. It's I'm doing a 300 foot final. So I'm doing a big hardcore G pulling turn rolling and making a dive happen and then trying to line up on an ILS plus or minus three feet at wow. three feet off the deck. So it, it, we have to fly very precise. So when you start to get a little bit fatigued or tired, then you notice that you can't line up on your line quite as easy. So, and then it's, it's not, we're actually providing a service, right? I'm spraying as farmer's field. So if I'm not online, then I need to take a break and come back and do a good job because we don't, we can't be sloppy, you know, we're putting down, mostly I do fungicide and fertilizer. I'm not spraying too much pesticide and I'm not really spraying herbicide, not things that damage or can damage neighboring fields, but we still treat everything the same. I mean, I need to fly precise and make sure my, my product is going where it's intended to go. And the coverage is exactly what the farmer wants. That's amazing. Wow. I never knew there was so much interest. Like I said, we don't get it many ag fire pilots over here. So it's great to find, get an insight into something different in, in the aviation industry. And for fun flying, you mentioned um, uh, the, the stall competitions. Um, we do a lot of microlife flying competitions over here, but the stall one really, really fascinates me. I've seen it with Trent Palmer's video um, and yourself, you were, you were competing in it. Um, tell us a bit about the, the stall competitions or stall yes, drag. Straight up stole competition is, it's also an acronym for short takeoff and landing. Um, I own a Kit Fox model Four, 1200 with a hundred horsepower engine. So it's not the, the best stole aircraft. It does, it is a stole aircraft. It does pretty good. I mean, I take off in 
um, about 100 feet and land in about 100 and 150 feet, depending on the wind and the elevation. Um, so I don't actually compete too much in standard stole competition. We're more, I'm more like the stole drags, which is more of a head-to-head -head competition. Classic stole, you're going to just come in, land, and they measure your takeoff and landing distance. You fly around, you do it again, and everybody kind of like takes their turn. I'm more of a head-to-head -head guy. I like I like a clear to find winner, and I like uh, yeah racing side by side somebody. So a stole drags. It's head-to-head -head race. We start uh, from a complete stop. There's a start line. Flag drops. We hammer the engine. We take off and we fly 2,000 feet down a course. There's a line that you have to land past, and then come to a complete stop. Come to a complete stop, tail down, spin 180 degrees, and take back off. And now you have to land and come to a complete stop at that original start line 2,000 feet down the course. So it's a 4,000-foot race down and back. And whoever lands and stops first wins. And you have to stop on heading. It's not like you can just land in ground loop or something like that to stop. But stop, land on heading, tailwheel down. That's so and then cool. we have a, it's really cool. So that's a head-to-head -head race. But then it's also bracketed. So you kind of move through the brackets. And it's really fun. And last year, well, not last year because of COVID, but two years ago, we got to do... Uh, at the Reno Air Races, which is super cool. If you're a, any been following aviation for any amount of years, you know what the Reno Air Races are. It's like the longest running motorsport race in aviation. And it was just unbelievable to be a pilot at the Reno Air Races. And so I'm really looking forward to going back again this September and racing again at Reno. That's so cool. That's amazing. Yeah. And you, you do some, I've, I've followed you on Instagram and everything. You do some really cool stuff with your kid fox. I think one of them was, uh, how did you get someone to conv or convince someone to, to try and hang outside of a helicopter and grab your wingtip while in flight? <laughs> yeah. So I have really cool friends. So fortunately one of my best friends uh, owns a helicopter, a really nice A-star. And we'd flown in formation a bunch, flying various places to go skydiving and he, and he's like, man, you're so close. I think I could touch your wing if I opened the door. I was like, well, let's do it. And uh, so we were in with some wavered airspace during the high Sierra fly-in. And we uh, were like, let's let's go for it. And so we were able to fly around a couple of times in the patch or in the pattern there. And yeah, my buddy, uh, Matt Rosado, who's a skydiver and base jumper, he's like, oh, well, let's do it. And so we strapped him into the helicopter and opened the door and out he went and touched my wing. It was very cool, actually. Like, I could actually feel him because I couldn't see him because I, I was the lead in the formation and the helicopter was flying in formation with me. Um, but I could feel him touch my wing and, like, it, we became connected. Like, I was, I felt like now the helicopter was in control of us. Like, and, like, I could feel him moving my wing up and down. It was uh, very cool. That's amazing. And what has been, say, I was skydiving and flying, what has been your, your favorite stunts that, that, that you've done? Well, I mean, jumping out of the plane without a parachute was probably the biggest stunt that I've done um, as far as like getting me, my career going with stunt, the stunt world and things like that. Um, I really enjoy, I just did, I'm doing a stunt right now for uh, The Gray Man, which is a, a movie coming out, uh, Netflix production. And I got us, I'm stunt doubling the lead character in that right now. Hence, I have a little beard right now because it's uh, for stunt doubling purposes. And I get a jump with the hidden rig. So they want the no rigs look, but we can't really do that repeatedly. And so I get a jump hidden gear. So it's under clothes and special gear designed specifically for the stunt and the wardrobe. And I really like stunts like that that are 
for a movie that really are in, involved with uh, costume and everything like that and making the perfect shot for the director. I really enjoy that stuff. Um, but as far as like skill-wise stunts, like right now jumping, we're, we're trying to do formation flying with aircraft while jumping off of a cliff. So my friends Fred and Vince from uh, France, the Soul Flyers, they jumped out of a cliff and then flew back into a Pilatus Porter uh, a couple years ago in France, which was super cool. And no, we don't have cliffs that are quite that high. I mean, that was a 6,000 foot flight that they were doing there. Here in Moab, we have about 1,500 foot flights. So it's a, a lot shorter a window to do it. And we've been getting pretty good success with the helicopter, flying with the helicopter. So that'll be making its way to my YouTube page and GoPro pretty shortly. And then hopefully it'll get picked up by a movie and I'll get to do it for the real money. That's brilliant. If it definitely sounds like you've you've made it as it is in this sport, like you're at the pinnacle and you, you can't get much higher. Um, Scott, just going back to, to movie stunts, do, have, you, have you done many working with movies before or, or is this kind of a first? Um, this is the first large production movie that I've been involved with. I've done quite a bit of commercial work uh, and then some stuff in China and things like that. But this is the first uh, large scale American movie that I'm involved in right now. Well, hopefully I get to do quite a bit more. The Red Bull Air Force has kind of got that uh, whole market on lockdown pretty well. So I'm fortunate enough that they have invited me on to uh, start playing with them a little bit. That's very, very cool. I think they were involved in Transformers, I think it was. So you could end up finding yourself doing something like that. Yeah, they're, they've done Transformer, lots of Transformers, Iron Man, Point Break. Well, I mean, there's quite a lot of actual Hollywood movie stunts that involve skydiving in some form or another. That's amazing. And what do you prefer skydiving or do you prefer actually flying airplanes? Hmm. I don't prefer one over the other. I want to do it all. That's fair enough. <laughs> but it, it sounds Call me greedy. Yeah, <laughs> it's not greedy at all. It's, it's just one one envelope of aviation, really, isn't it? It's... Yeah, variety is the spice of life for me in aviation. Like I haven't really flown airplanes too much since October. I only have maybe fifteen or twenty hours since October. So I'm I'm excited to get back to flying. I'm actually leaving my home in Moab in uh, another four days and I'm going up to Washington to start the season of crop dusting and flying jumpers and flying my airplane so I'm excited to go back to that a little bit a little change of pace I've done 150 jumps space jumps over the last six months while I've been away from aviation so I've been busy I went to Brazil for a month this winter and really was charging in Brazil pretty hard that's brilliant is there a certain base jump that sticks with you in, in, in your mind that you would say is probably one of the coolest you've done Hmm. I think probably the first time I ever wingsuit base jumped was pretty mind blowing to me that day, like being able to jump off a cliff and then fly a few kilometers away. That was really cool. And then I'm fortunate that my partner, my girlfriend, she is also a wingsuit base jumper. So anytime I get to jump with her, that's, that's pretty awesome. Especially like we take friends all the time. I love jumping with my friends, but when it's just her and I on a little mission, it's probably one of my favorite things to do. That's very cool. And it's great as well, because then you can, something something different that you do together, really, isn't it? Most couples go down to Ikea or something, or Costco, <laughs> but not you guys. <laughs> no, we hate going to the store. We'd much rather go on a little hike and fly. <laughs> Brilliant. And does she enjoy flying with you as well? Yeah, she's actually learning to be a pilot right now. I'm, I'm going to study this in the next couple of months and probably get my CFI just so I can be her instructor. I wasn't going to do it initially, 
but she's been having such a hard time because of our travel schedule. We travel all the time and aren't really, we're at our home in Moab, like three months in the fall and three months in the spring. And then the rest of the year we're traveling somewhere. So it's been hard for her to get steady instruction. So I think I'm just going to get my CFI and so I can get her signed off. That's, that's so cool. Especially you have the option to do that. I mean, how, how is that? impacted with, with COVID what, what's it like over there kind of for the aviation side of wise because I know over here it's, it's just crippled everything I think it's crippled a huge portion of the aviation industry fortunately for me in ag aviation the world still needs to eat I was deemed an essential worker straight away so I was able to work and not be restricted to travel or anything like that so luckily nothing really changed for me and Taz is a graphic designer. Her company really didn't, uh, Taz is my girlfriend. Her, her company didn't suffer at all. So it's almost been like business as usual for us. Other than when you go out in public, it seems a little weird. Um, and specifically here in Moab, when it first happened a year ago and everybody kind of went into lockdown, we were happy to be at home lockdown because Moab, Utah is kind of a little bit of a tourist destination for Jeepers and mountain bikers. And this time of year, it's usually really, really busy. And so last year the town was locked down. We weren't allowed, the hotels weren't open. You weren't allowed to go camping unless you're a resident here. So we had Moab to ourselves and it was really awesome. <laughs> I hate to be selfish again, but it was pretty cool. And this big, year, big everything's really. back open. So we don't have the town to ourselves this year. Oh no. I was going to say, because even over here now, they, uh, they've only just started reopening, but um, tourism is kind of kind of down. Like you said, it, it, it's everywhere everywhere's closed like hotels and stuff unless it was for essential workers but well, it's great to see so a uh, different side of of what, how other people are, are doing and stuff and it's great to see that even though you guys are residents you're still able to go out and play yeah and and for our friends who work in like the tourism industry here in town the tourism has bounced back better than it was before probably because people are so restricted from traveling internationally right now tourism's quite big in the u.s and all of the resort towns anything outdoor activity has been in, on uptick right now and i think most of the skydiving operations in america saw an increase in turnout last year because people were just looking to forget about corona for a little while and go have some fun exactly i think so, it, one thing it showed everyone as well is that like life's too short and it's as we take every day for granted really because it's shown with all the lockdowns and stuff like that that uh, it, it can just be be taken out from under us so i think as well that there's a lot of people who've sat at home for six seven months and thought oh well, I've always wanted to jump out of an airplane. I might as well go and do that. Exactly. Yeah. Luckily for me, I mean, I already had a pretty good idea of that life was short, doing the dangerous things <laughs> I do. And so we try to live every day as it could be our last, but I think a lot more people got an appreciation for that this last year. And I'm glad that here in the US, we're almost at 200 million vaccinations now. And like my town, we're at 60% vaccinated. So life should be returning to normal fairly quickly. And uh, hopefully all the industries that have suffered can spring back and everybody can get back to life as it used to be. Fingers crossed. And going back to what you were saying about people uh, living life, the envelope and all that. My dad, he used to be a chief instructor at the Irish Parachute Club. And um, he always used to say to us, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. And he's, he's really yeah. true. It's <laughs> taken yeah. us a few years to realise it, but he, he definitely is is true. Uh, well, Scott, thank you so much for chatting to me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And again, like I said, I've, I've followed you for years and it's, it's a dream come true just, just sitting here having a chat with you. So I really, really appreciate your time. Hey, it was my pleasure. And thanks for everybody for tuning in and listening to us uh, ramble for a little while. <laughs>
<laughs> like I said, there's still lockdowns on, so they need something to do. <laughs> yeah, totally. But uh, Scott, thank you so much, and best of luck with uh, with the upcoming uh, stunts. All right, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Scott. Have a good one.